Well, guys, good morning. We are going to be wrapping up our series, You Do You. And next week, we're going to start a brand new series called Holy Ghost Stories. The phrase, you do you. And it's a phrase that's been around for a little while. And I've heard it last year. I heard it this year. Uh, we were talking with some friends. They were talking about some New Year's resolutions and some things they want to do. And they are talking about the things that really works for their family. And he was like, well, that may not work for you guys. I'm not trying to tell you what to do. But, you know, you do you. And we're going to do what works for us. And I just thought about this phrase, you do you. And quite honestly, I think it's a little problematic when it comes to faith. One of the things I value about our church is that we are willing to, we value looking at the mirror, comparing what the mirror says versus what the culture says. And I love that about our church. And the mirror for us is God's word. It's God. What does God say versus what culture says? And so let's jump in. Did you know the majority of American adults, they like Jesus? Yet in fact, they have a very favorable opinion. They have a high opinion of him. Now, here's what's the sticky part. Only half of American adults actually trust church leaders. They trust religious leaders. There's a huge disconnect where people, they like Jesus, even though they don't consider him God. They like him. They just don't like church leaders. When we first started our church in 2017, about 70% of our church uh, in the first about, I would say the first 9 to 12 months were unchurched, which meant that they didn't have, they hadn't attended church in more than five years or they never attended church. And one of the things we kept hearing, people liked God, people liked Jesus, they just didn't like church leaders. They didn't like church. There was some pain, there was some hurt that they experienced. They just walked away from church. Over the last few years, it's been good to see um, people begin to change the way they view the church and how they are, are leaning more into Jesus, but they're not forsaking the church. So it's been really good to see that. Look, as we go back in the time of Jesus, the opposite was actually true. People uh, had a mixed reaction to Jesus. Even his own family didn't buy his teachings. He drew crowds because of some of the things that he was able to do. But when it came down to it, the people trusted the religious leaders and the religious leaders didn't trust Jesus. There were some things that he taught that didn't line up to the things that they expected or the things they believed a so-called Messiah should be teaching. See, many people claim that Jesus was this Messiah, that the people have been praying for so many years for this coming king. But they didn't believe it. They didn't believe it. They didn't buy it. In fact, they knew that if Jesus was the Messiah, if that was true, it wasn't going to be good for them. That meant that the religious leaders would lose power, they would lose wealth, they would lose influence, and they would lose control of the religious system. So, if it was true that Jesus was the Messiah, that meant that he was a threat to them because they expected the Messiah to come like a military leader. They expected him to come like David, someone that was able to defeat Caesar and defeat Rome and set up Israel as a powerful nation that was going to be in charge for the next forever. But instead, Jesus is coming a lot different. There's no sword, there's no horse. No, instead, Jesus is teaching the crowd something entirely different. And in fact, some of the things that he's teaching go against some of the things that they've been teaching in the synagogues for years. They talked about an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. And here Jesus comes along, he says, love your enemy. Bless those who persecute you. 
In fact, if a soldier asks you to carry their stuff for a mile, carry it too. He also talked about turning the other cheek. So talk about the mixed emotions for everyday people just trying to serve God, just trying to follow God. Like, do we follow the rabbi that we've been following for a very long time, who we grew up with, who married us, who was always there for those major events, or this street preacher claiming to be Messiah? Like, who do we go with? Like, Jesus is able to do some pretty incredible things that our rabbis haven't been able to do. So is it Jesus or is it the rabbis or is it the religious leaders or is it Jesus? Like, who is right? Who do we believe? Who do we trust? What happened is Jesus was attracting so many people through miracles and storytelling. I mean, who wouldn't want a miracle? Who wouldn't want, if you have your baby girl or baby, baby boy hurting or sick, who wouldn't want to experience a miracle, right? How many would love to hear a story with relevant application? People were attracted to Jesus for what he could do for them, not necessarily who he is to them. Now that's important because just like then, we have to decide if we like Jesus because of what he does for us or because of who he is to us. Like we talked about the first week, Guys, some of us would prefer Jesus to be like a life coach. We want to get some suggestions from him. We'll get to pick and choose what we want to follow and what we don't want to follow. We'll just sort of disregard, no no big deal. But he really works for us. See, the the problem with that is it's a lot of self-focus. It's a lot of selfishness. Like when things are going great in your job, I mean, we're tempted to ask Jesus to intervene. We're asking uh, other people to pray that we'll get the job or that job's going to turn around like something in our favor. Um, when there's a relationship issue, when uh, things aren't going well with our kids or things aren't going well with our spouse or the person we're engaged to, man, we're begging Jesus to intervene. We're begging Jesus to change them, right? Here's the deal. When things are good, we want Jesus involved to keep things good. It's like, help me when it helps me. That's not what he wants for you. Like what he came to give isn't what we're looking to get. The things that he came to give aren't the things we've been chasing, aren't the things we've been hoping to get from him. The story that makes this problem come alive in all four gospels. So the gospels are the biographies of Jesus. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're going to be in John 6. So in case you have your Bible, John 6. Now, let me give you some context. The day starts off. Jesus is followed by this large crowd of people who are amazed with Jesus healing the sick. So they crossed the the Sea of Galilee. They followed him. So he begins teaching them. And he's teaching them and teaching them. And all of a sudden, it gets time to eat. No one has any food. A little boy has five loaves of bread and two fish. Well, somehow, someway, Jesus feeds the crowd. Some would say there's 5,000 men, but about 15,000 people. Now, just imagine being able to feed that many people with a Happy Meal. It's crazy. Now, I can't explain how he did it, but we read that he blessed the lunch, and then the disciples just distributed the food. And here's the crazy part. 12 baskets of scraps were left over. I mean, this miracle caused the crowd to believe that Jesus was the king. They, they'd been expecting this Messiah 
And so they want to make him king then and there. And Jesus is like, no, I'm not buying it. So he escapes. And then he tells the disciples, look, while I go off by myself, I need you guys to meet me on the other side of the lake. So they get loaded up. They move the boat out. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, they hit a storm. And they are scared. They are terrified. And all of a sudden, Jesus meets them as he walks on the water. They have an amazing night. They get to bed. They dock the boat. They get to bed. And then all of a sudden, they wake up. And then they start seeing these boats cross the sea. Yeah, it it was the crowd. And the crowd is coming over. They borrowed boats. They get over. And then this is what happens in John 6. They found Jesus on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, Hey, when did you get here? It's like, hey, so glad we found you. Not really sure how you got here, but it's interesting. It's breakfast time, and how are you going to do it like you did yesterday? You know, you, you were able to feed us that crazy meal. I'm not sure how you did it, but hey, can you do it again? Jesus replied, look, I tell you the truth. You want to believe with me because I fed you, right? You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. So Jesus calls him out. He's like, look, this is all about what I could do for you. Let's call a quick time out. Now, without reading ourselves into the story, we all know what happens when we use people. People see through it, right? Even if we're clever, people still see through it. Um, It never works out the way that we want it to work out, right? There's always going to be a hitch. There's always something that's going to happen. And then we usually lose more than we gain. Keep that in mind. So Jesus continues. He says, but don't be concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. The reason why the crowd was even there was because of food. They were concerned that they wanted to be fed. They were hungry. Now, Jesus wanted them to be concerned about something more than food. He wanted them to consider something more than something that's just going to fill them up. And they're going to be hungry again. He wanted something more for them. He wants something better for them. So they replied, we want to perform God's works too. Hey, what should we do? Notice that question. What should we do? Now in Judaism, it started with the Ten Commandments because for a Jew, it's always about doing. It's always about behaving. They had 613 laws that they had to live by. That's a lot. Of course, they were going to violate some of those. They weren't going to live up to some of them. And so when they didn't live up to some of them, they had to sacrifice something. See, the punishment of sin is the shedding of blood. The punishment for sin is the shedding of blood. When someone sins, blood has to be shed. The punishment is the shedding of blood. So that's the payment for sin, the shedding of blood. So from the very beginning, we see this. When Adam and Eve sinned, God sacrificed animals to clothe them. Forgiveness requires the shedding of blood, which is why we have Jesus coming to shed his blood for us. Okay, so they're thinking, okay, what do we do to get this eternal life? Like, what do we do? What do we, what do, we do, right? He says, the only work God wants from you is to believe in the one he has sent. Hold on. You don't want us to... You don't want us to do anything. You want us to believe. Okay. So they're confused and they answered, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. 
what can you do? It's always about doing, right? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. For, for some reason, apparently, they missed the miracle of the big feeding the day before. Like, whether they missed it or whether they didn't see it, somehow, someway, obviously, like, that wasn't good enough. And they bring up something from 2,000 years prior when God provided manna each morning for 40 years. And they're like, look, we want you to prove that you're a God by doing something that God would do. So Jesus said, look, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread of heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then they say, sir, give us that bread every day. Still, they're thinking with their gut. They're thinking with their belly. They're thinking with their stomach. They're not thinking spiritually. They're thinking physically. And so Jesus is like, look, guys, first of all, Moses didn't do it. God actually sent the manna. You guys are missing the point. You guys are willing to settle for something physically. You guys are willing to settle for something that you physically eat. Do you guys not know that your ancestors died? They ate this physical manna from God? But look, I'm about to show you that God is providing something that's eternal, that's going to meet your deepest desires. He says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me even though you have seen me. However, those the Father has given me will come to me and I will never reject them. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of, my, of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And guys, this is the will of God that I should not lose even one of all of those he has given me, but that I should raise them up on the last day. For it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. I will raise them up at the last day. Jesus makes this as simple as possible. He's like, guys, you ask what you can do. This has nothing to do about doing. This has nothing to do about behaving. You can't behave your way into a relationship with God. You can't behave your way into heaven. You can't behave your way into blessings. You can't behave your way into God working on, on your behalf. He says, guys, it's all about belief. It's about believing in me. Here's the thing about Jesus. He wasn't willing just to be liked. See, he was about to sacrifice his life, yeah, for the shedding of blood, his shedding of blood for the pay, payment for our sin for all of humanity. And he wants people to put their faith in him so they can spend an eternity with him. He doesn't just want to be liked. See, liking Jesus is not as important as following Jesus. See, liking Jesus means that I pick and choose what I believe about him and his teachings. Following Jesus means that I believe everything about him and his teachings. See, either Jesus is my life coach or Jesus is my Lord. Either Jesus is my life coach or Jesus is my Lord. We talked about being a life coach where there's suggestions, right? We get to pick and choose. They kind of work for us, but 
when Jesus is our Lord, that means that he has authority over us. That means he is the one in charge. He is the one leading. He is the one directing. Where a life coach makes suggestions, a Lord makes commands. See, that works against the you do you when it comes to faith. When it comes spiritually, well, God, you, you kind of do you and I'm going to kind of do me. No, no, God. It's like, no, no, no. I need you to, to do what I'm asking you to do because that's going to bring you life. That's going to meet your deepest desires. See, God doesn't want you to live in certain ways to take things from you. He provides commands for our benefit and to protect us. I think that's why some of us, man, we're so tense. We, we don't want to really make God, like he saved us, but we don't want to make him the leader. We don't want to make him the Lord of our life because we don't want us to want to follow everything he has us to do. We don't think it's for some reason, we don't think it's for our benefit. L- let me help, let me, let me, this might be able to help. When our kids want to do something, how many of us allow them to do whatever they want? Look, we know, and I shared this last week, I mean, we're not going to allow our kids to do some really, like, we're going to make sure they brush their teeth, we're going to make sure they take a bath, we're going to make sure they eat throughout the day, but if they wanted to do whatever they wanted to do, what would happen? They'd become diabetics because they would all they would eat is sugar, um, they would veg out in front of a TV or a screen all day long, um, they would have very little social or, um, or emotional skills, no. They wouldn't even know how to get, their, get, them, get themselves out to the store. They, they couldn't even get out of the driveway. Why? They have very little life experience. They cannot see beyond their nose, really. I mean, how many of us would allow our kids to go to a friend's house who we never met, we never met their parents, and we were like, you know what, you go out there all day. I mean, how many of us would do that? None of us would. Why? Because we know what's best for our kids, we're trying to protect our kids and we do things that benefit them and protect them because we love them. See, that's what it looks like in our relationship with God. He loves you. He loves me. He's doing everything that he does for us for our benefit, for our protection. But that's the struggle we all face. Do I make Jesus my life coach or do I make Jesus my Lord? See, he's like those listening on the grassy fields to Jesus we're seeking a temporary solution to an eternal problem. They're willing to settle for manna. They were willing to settle for manna when they could have had the bread of life. And like us, man, let's not settle for trying to solve our problems with temporary things like buying it or dating it or marrying her or him or settling for the things promising to fulfill us when we can have Jesus, the one that can satisfy our deepest desires why would we trade something that is going to be a temporary fix when someone that can actually heal us why would we trade that our culture is tempting us to try to figure this out on ourselves to solve our problems by our by ourselves by focusing on ourselves and making ourselves the center of attention but we know that doesn't work guys salvation is free but following jesus will cost you something it's worth the cost. Guys, self-fulfillment doesn't come from self-focus. Self-fulfillment comes from self-denial. When you think of um, these teams and these players on these championship teams, whether football or baseball or whatever the case may be, these athletes are willing to deny themselves some pleasure in order to win. See, Jesus is calling us to that too. See, Jesus is calling 
us to that every day. Notice what he says. He says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and I, I know that there are people that are listening and watching and I ask right now that you will help those who maybe they're, they're saved, they're, they're in, right? They have Jesus as their Savior, but Father, I'm asking they have not made Jesus their, their Lord and I'm asking that they will do that. They're missing out on so much. Father, allow them to change their perspective or change their mind that this is not about what we get from you, but this is what we this is about who we follow. This is not about what we get, but this is about who he is. Father, for those who have yet to make a decision to follow Jesus, I ask that they would make that decision because it is the best decision ever when we surrender ourselves to you. Because Jesus, you are able to meet us where no one else is able to meet us. You're able to provide us things that no one else is able to provide. You're able to meet our deepest desires so thank you for that thank you for everything that you do thank you for being the answer to the punishment for our sin thank you for shedding your blood so that we could have life in jesus name amen